Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. If you found the third chapter of Acts, verse 19. Verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Hallelujah. This is telling us about the things that must take place before the return of the Lord. Amen? He said there will be times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and there will be times of restoration of all things before he sends Jesus Christ back to the earth. It says heaven has received him until the times of restoration of all things. So uh, we know from this scripture and other scriptures then that associated with the return of the Lord and in the last days, and we all, uh, I think, would agree that we're living in the last days, all of the signs of the times are around us. We can see that the world is, is moving in a direction that has been foretold in the scriptures and, and we see these things developing all around us, so we know we're in the last days. And, and so we know that before the Lord returns, there has to be seasons of revival. That's what uh, times of, of restoration, other translations say seasons of revivals, uh, times of revival, and then times of restoration. So these things must take place. So we have the right to expect them to happen today. Amen. We would be negligent to not expect these things, to see and, and, and understand where we are in the world and see how uh, the, uh, the world is growing darker and darker, heading more and more uh, clearly toward judgment, to not then turn and look to the Lord and say, now, Lord, what are you going to do in this hour would be terribly negligent. Yeah. Amen. And so uh, we've been talking about seasons of revival for several months now, and thank God we're in revival. Say, I'm in revival. Say, I'm personally in revival. My church is in revival. We're all in revival. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for the revival that is stirring, not just here, but it's stirring all around the world. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I mean, you just hear about revival everywhere. And uh, people that are, that are listening to the Spirit of God are talking about these times of revival that we're in. Amen. And so in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the times of restoration. It talked about two things before the return of the Lord, times of, 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 of restoration, excuse me, times of refreshing, and then times of restoration. So we've been talking about the times of restoration. And we pointed out that uh, the word restoration means, this is according to the dictionary, means a putting or bringing back to a former, normal, or unimpaired state or condition. 
That's what restoration means. So then, uh, if times of restoration must precede the return of the Lord, then we can say that before Jesus returns, the church must be brought back to its former, normal, and unimpaired condition. Hallelujah. The church world as we've known it, uh, speaking broadly, not just about any one church, but just broadly speaking, when you look at the church as it is, exists in the world today, it is not normal. The church as it is in the world today and, and uh, in contemporary times, we, we know that revival is stirring right now, but the reason revival is stirring, remember when we studied about revival, we said that God sends revival during times of apostasy and decline in order to turn the tide, in order to restore momentum to the church. And, that, and we've seen that's much needed because the church, like I said, has not been in its normal former condition. You look at the, the church in the book of Acts and in the epistles of the New Testament, and you look at much of the church world today, doesn't even look like the same church. It is the same church, but it's a church in, in need of revival. Amen. And it's a church in need of restoration. Restoration of all things, it said, that have been spoken by all the holy prophets since the world began. And if you put that in the context of the verses before it, we know it's talking about all the things that the prophets said concerning Christ. So what we're talking about is a, re is a restoration in the church of the things of Christ. What do we mean by that? What do we mean a restoration of the things of Christ? We're, principally, we're talking about three things. A restoration of the power of Christ, a restoration of the authority of Christ, and a restoration of the character of Christ. And so for uh, several weeks, we talked about the restoration of the character of Christ. We talked about that first. It's important to talk about that first. Character is important. Amen. I said character is important in revival and in the move of the Spirit. Not having the character of Christ, allowing the flesh to dominate and having all kinds of unholy attitudes and behaviors and so forth short circuits the power of God. It hinders the power of God. Yes, it does. So character is important. We spent several weeks on that. We spent then a couple of weeks talking about the, the restoration of the power of Christ. And, uh, you know, the, the Spirit of God through tongues and interpretation this morning talked about uh, demonstrations of the power of God and the glory of God and signs and wonders out in the world for the world to see, just like the song we sang. And, you know, uh, there, there has to be a restoration of the full power of Christ before Jesus comes back. What do we mean a restoration of the full power of Christ? In other words, everything Jesus was when he was here on the earth, everything he demonstrated, all of the gifts of the spirit that operated in his life, all of the ministries that he represented and, and 
after he ascended into heaven, he said, you will go out in my name. You will do the works that I've done. You will do also. And the Bible says they went out and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word through the signs that accompanied the preaching of the word. So in the, in the first days of the church, that first generation, that first 100 years, there was the same gifts and ministries of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those ministries, apostle, prophet, uh, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, they all take their, their uh, uh, headship, if you want to say it that way, they take their, their, uh, their calling from the Lord Jesus Christ himself because he stands at the head of each one of these ministry offices. And we see them in the Bible, all of these ministry offices functioning as they should. Well, the church has got to get back to that. It's not that God took something away and now he's going to restore it. It's a a restoration of us in these things because he never took these gifts and ministries away, but the church backslid. Come on now. The church backslid over the centuries and, and it's taken many, many years for the church to get back to a place where we even recognize that these things are missing and they're for today. It's really in, in very recent times, just a little over 100 years. Back before the 20th century uh, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the very beginning of the 20th century, you had very little knowledge in the, in the church, very little understanding. Nobody even considered the supernatural power of God, signs and wonders. It was just a, just a dead, traditional, powerless Christianity. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out then afresh and anew at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, suddenly you see the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. Of course, people fought it. Traditionalists fought it. But you know, you can't fight God. I mean, you can try it, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna prevail, Amen. And so the, the, the flow of God's power has continued to rise. There's been an ebb and flow back and forth over the years, but the tide has continued to rise. The, minist- excuse me, the ministries, these five ministry offices have never been fully acknowledged in the church like they should be. Now, they've always existed. Much of the church world believes that the apostles' ministry is gone. That's that's you know, back, uh, that disappeared, you know, in, in antiquity, you know, in the, when, the, when the 12 apostles that we see, the 12 disciples of the Lord and the one that was replaced, replaced Judas, of course, when those 12 apostles died, they said, well, that was the end of the apostles. If you go through the Bible real carefully in the New Testament and read it very carefully, there are 27 people identified as apostles in the New Testament. So to say that, you know, that these 12 represented, you know, all the apostles and when they died, that was the end of it, that you're starting off with a, with a misunderstanding to begin with. Amen. The apostles' office has never been withdrawn. It was never taken away. The prophet's ministry was never taken away from the church. The evangelist, the pastor and teacher is never, never taken away. But in modern times, the only two uh, ministries that most churches recognize is the, is the pastor and the evangelist. And most of the time, those are watered down versions. Come on now. But God is restoring in these last days all of the gifts of the Spirit, all of the ministries of the Spirit. And I'm gonna tell you, the ministry of the evangelist 
has been largely, largely uh, directed at ministering to the church only. And the ministry of the evangelist, according to the Bible, is to be directed to the world. Now, the evangelist has a ministry in the church. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But the evangelist is supposed to be uh, focused on reaching the world with the gospel. We all are, but the evangelist in a specially anointed capacity. And the gifts of the Spirit weren't put in the church just for the benefit of the church. The gifts of the Spirit were put in the church to equip the church to minister in the world. The gifts of healings, for instance. God did not put the gifts of the gifts of healings in the church just for the church to lay hands on one another and get one another healed. Gifts of healings were, are, were given that we could carry it to the world and minister in supernatural power to people in the world, outside the church. Well, amen. Glory to God. So there's a restoration of the power of God. There, when it comes to the power of God, there's all kinds of demonstrations of his power. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw a demonstration of his power in my preaching. Now, if you know me, I don't ordinarily preach like that. I'm a teacher. I'm not really a preacher. And uh, Saturday night of last week, I was just sitting in my study, you know, minding my own business, going over my scriptures, just kind of meditating. And and I just sensed, whoo, glory. I'm going to preach tomorrow. I just sense that. I'm going to preach tomorrow. And uh, that's why last week when, when, when Brother Steve sang those fast songs and he went to a slow song, I went, no, 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 no. I went up and jumped up on the platform and got everybody back singing fast songs again. I want to keep this crowd up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I got up, I started preaching. And I'm going to tell you the truth. My, I was, the power of God was on me so strong. I, at one point, I was standing right over here and I thought, I'm about to fall down. I mean, my physical body couldn't take it. And I thought, I, I'm gonna fall down. I, I got back over here to the pulpit and just kind of under my breath. I said, Lord, you're gonna have to strengthen me. I can't stand this. And he did, praise God. <laughs> well, that's a demonstration of his power. And, and you can see that it's different. The preaching anointing is different than the teaching. It's just different. It doesn't come on me very often, but I sure do enjoy it when it does. Oh, my. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. I mean, it's exhilarating. It'll wear you out, but it's exhilarating. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. There's a restoration of his power. But there's also coming a restoration of the authority of Christ. That's what I want to talk to you principally, uh, primarily about today, is a restoration of the authority of Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew, and let's look at the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's all kinds of power that can be demonstrated in the church. We need to believe God for all of it. Amen demonstrations of the spirit and of power. Hold your place. When you find Matthew 16, hold your place and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1. Excuse me, chapter 2. 
Look at, at verse number one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you, to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now notice, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. In other words, it wasn't just mere human ability, mere human wisdom. But my speech and my preaching were in demonstration of the spirit and of power. A lot of times people look at that and they read demonstration of the spirit and of power and they think of the power gifts, miracles and signs and wonders and that's all part of the power of God and that those are demonstrations of the spirit. But notice he said my speech and my preaching, not with enticing words of human wisdom but in demonstration. My speech and preaching in demonstration of the spirit and power. See, that's what we need. We need need speech and preaching, and that also includes teaching, to be done in the power of the spirit. There is a demonstration of the spirit and the power in preaching and in teaching. A lot of times, people who are... uh, who've been raised on, on preaching. They go to a church where the, where the pastor is primarily a preacher and, and he preaches all the time. Now you do realize when you watch television, I know you've seen this before, you see preachers on TV and a lot of times they're nothing more than performers. You've all detected that. You can tell they've, they've got this thing worked down. It's a, it's, a, it's a routine they're going through and it's something that they have perfected and they've just, they're just working the crowd. You know what I'm talking about? We've all seen that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about truly preaching under the anointing. People that are uh, accustomed to preaching and that's, that's what they, they're accustomed to receiving. Very often they'll come into a church that is primarily teaching based and really Jesus was first and foremost a teacher. You read it. And every time when it described his ministry and he, it said he went about all the cities of, of Judea, Galilee and so forth, teaching in their seminar, in their, in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness among the people. Teaching first, preaching second and healing third. That tells me the delivery of the word is two-thirds of the power of God. I said the delivery of the word is two-thirds of the power of God. Two-thirds of the power of God, you can say it like this, uh, needs to be presented in the deliver, in the speech, teaching, and preaching. Yeah. And so a lot of times people that are accustomed to that kind of, of a uh, uh, of delivery where their pastor or, or, or they're, they're just accustomed to somebody that just preaches, you know, uh, spitting cotton, waving his hands, you know, and jumping up and down and stuff. They'll come into a church like ours and, and they're disappointed and think, well, it just, you know, it didn't seem to be very, very exciting. But there's, you need to be sensitive to the spirit. Amen. 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 We need, we needed, we need powerful speech and preaching. We need powerful speech and teaching, not with words of, of man's wisdom, not, not, 
not that which man's wisdom teaches, he goes on to say, but that which the Holy Spirit teaches. Amen. It says comparing spiritual things to spiritual in the last part of this chapter. Other translation says taking, putting spiritual words to spiritual truths. Amen. So uh, thank God for the ministries. <clears throat> thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. Thank God for all of the different anointings of the Spirit. We need it all. We need the power of God demonstrated in all of the ways that he operates. Amen. Hallelujah. Have you found Matthew 16? Praise the Lord. Let's start in verse 13 so that we can really analyze uh, this verse. That We're, we're going to look at verse, verses 18 and 19, but let's start in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades is what it says in the New King James. The older King James says the gates of hell, that's what Hades is. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the church, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, there, there have been all uh, sorts of suggestions as to what the rock Jesus referring to, what, it, what, it, what was that rock? What is he talking about? And he said to Peter, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. There have been all kinds of ideas about what that means. Now, uh, uh, not, not being uh, cynical in any sense, but we all know that the Catholic Church uh, holds, according to this scripture, that Peter was the rock. Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock referring to him, I will build my church. And, and so Catholicism is based on the idea that Jesus made Peter the head of the church. And then all of the successors, all of the pontiffs, the popes that have followed Peter, that they've been the head of the church and that, and that under Christ, Peter is the, the pope is the supreme leader of the church. But, uh, you know, that's not true. Not, I'm not trying to be critical, but we have, to, we have to, much of the world believes that and it's just not true. And we need to be honest about it. It's not true for a variety of things. God is not going to exalt any one man. Amen. I said God is not going to exalt any one man 
in the body of Christ over the entire body of Christ other than the Lord. Now, when, when it says on this rock, I will build my church, to begin with, there are a lot of different ways you can look at this verse of scripture and it can af- apply in, in several different ways. For instance, uh, turn with me, hold your place because we'll come back. Turn and go with me to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians chapter two. And let's look at verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Well, the household of God is the church. Amen? You are therefore no longer strangers or foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the, of the household of God, the church. Now notice, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, not, not one apostle, all the apostles, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Glory to God. If there's any rock upon which the church is built in this sense, if we're talking about a person, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? I think we can all agree. Turn with me over for another uh, witness to that. Turn over with me to uh, uh, 1 Peter. And let's look at chapter 2. First Peter 2, 6 says, Therefore it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief. Now we know according to Hebrews 12 that Zion is a reference to the church. It's an Old Testament reference, but it had a, but it had a double reference to the church. We can, you can see that in, in Hebrews chapter 12. But here it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So the chief cornerstone is a hymn and it's no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So you could say clearly that we know that the church, as far as being founded on a person, it's found on Jesus. It's founded upon Jesus, isn't that right? And when it talks about the apostles and prophets, the foundation, in other words, the foundational truths of the New Testament came through these foundational apostles and prophets. There are different classes of apostles and prophets. There there were the foundational apostles and prophets, the ones through whom God brought the word of God, the New Testament, and they laid the foundation. There's no other foundation, Paul said, being laid today. It came through these foundational apostles. Paul was one of them. Peter was one of them. The other apostles who brought the word of God that we have the Bible today. These were the foundational apostles and prophets. And there aren't any more foundational prophets and apostles. There are still apostles and prophets, but they're not foundational ministries. Because the foundation's being laid. God's not continually laying more foundation. The foundation for the church is being, has been laid and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Amen. He's the principal one, amen? Go with me too then over to uh, 
go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now in this passage, we can see that the rock here refers to the foundation of God's word. He said, if you, if you build your life on my words, then you're building your life on the rock, and the, and the storms of life can come, but your, your, your life, you will prevail. Your house, will, uh, your, which represents your life, will be intact. So in this passage, we see that uh, the rock here is God's word, building your life on the word. Now let's go back to Matthew 16 again. I think you can see that the idea of a foundational rock upon which something is built uh, has several different applications in the New Testament. Isn't that right? Of course, Jesus is the rock. Of course, the word is the rock. Both of those things are true. We're not taking anything away from that. But, but you can see that, that the word of God will use the same terminology and apply it differently. Isn't that right? You have to look at the context. And so what, what is the rock referring to here? It's interesting that there's a play on words in this passage. Peter, the name Peter is from the, from the Greek Petros. And it means a, uh, a large stone or, or a piece of a large rock. Petra, that's what, that's what Peter's name, that's what it means. The second word that he used, when he said, you are Peter and upon this rock, the word rock, that second word, is a, is, is a different word than Petros. It's the word Petra, and it is an enormous rock like Gibraltar, a massive Gibraltar-like rock. What Jesus was simply saying, he was just using Peter's name as an illustration. He was saying, and I say unto you, you are Peter, you are a rock, but on this rock, this massive rock, I will build my church. Can you see that? So he wasn't talking about Peter at all. Well, what is this massive rock upon which the church is built? Well, like I said, there have been a lot of uh, suggestions. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that, uh, that anyone is particularly wrong, but there have been all kinds of ideas, and some of them are pretty good. One suggestion is the rock upon which the church is built is the confession of Christ. So who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and so Jesus said, well, you're, you're Peter, and upon this, but upon this big, massive rock, I will build my church. And they said, well, the massive rock upon which the church is built. Of course, we understand that Jesus is the rock. This is, but this is looking at it differently. 
Some people have said it's the, it's the confession of Christ as the son of the living God. That's the rock upon which the church is built. That sounds pretty good. I like that. I'm not convinced that's what he's talking about, but, but, but that's good. Another, another Bible, famous Bible uh, 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 teacher, preacher of today, he said it's revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge is the rock upon which the church is built because he said, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who's in heaven. So revelation knowledge, being able to receive revelation from God, that's the rock upon which the church is built. I don't think that's as good as the other one, but that's all right. It's pretty good. Now, I'm going to give you what I believe to be what he's talking about, and you judge it according to the word of God. You know, you, you should always look at the context of any scripture to find out what it's talking about. And we've already looked at other contexts this morning of other places the Bible refers to the rock. But here, he said, I also say to you, that you are Peter, a smaller rock, but on this huge rock, I will build my church. Now notice what the next words are. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I submit that whatever this rock is upon which the church would be built, in this sense, not talking about Christ, but in this sense, whatever the rock is, it will enable the church to stand against the attacks of the enemy. He said, on the, I'm gonna build the church on this huge Gibraltar rock and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not be victorious over it. But what in the world would it be? What could it be that would cause, obviously if the gates of hell aren't prevailing, the church is. What, it, what would it be that would cause the church to prevail against the gates of hell? What would it be that would cause the church to stand up and be victorious in the face of everything the devil would try to do in these last days? I will build my church on this massive rock and the gates of hell, whatever it is, it'll cause the church to prevail. It'll cause the church to be victorious. It'll cause the church to stand, glory to God. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, what, what, what do keys of the kingdom represent? The keys of the kingdom represents the authority of the kingdom. You know, our ushers around here have different keys. And their different keys operate different doors in our church. But, but the, uh, uh, you know, we have, we have keys that, man, we have quite a scheme. I mean, it's, there's a flow chart, you know, and there's, this key opens up all these and this key opens these and this key opens. But you know what? There's a, there's a key locker here. We have in a secure place in the church, we have a key locker. All the keys are in it. You can go anywhere. If you can get in that key locker, you, you can go anywhere in this building because it's the keys, not just the key. It's the keys. Opens every door. Hallelujah. Gives you the authority physically to walk through any door in this building. 
our ushers, you know, and, and different head usher has one key and other people have other keys. We People come here to work on the equipment. You know, at the church, they're in the two outdoor rooms. You know, if they have a key, they'll get into that room, those rooms, but it won't get them in the building. But praise God, I know where the keys of the kingdom are. <laughs> Amen. Well, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever, notice what he said then, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, in, in, with all deference and respect to all the other preachers and what they think the, key, the, the, uh, uh, the rock is, this is what I think the rock is. The authority of the, of the church under the Lord Jesus Christ to stand in these last days against the onslaught of the enemy, to stand glory to God and not be defeated is authority that comes from heaven. Now, in my view, the context supports this because he said whatever this this rock is, the devil doesn't have a chance. He doesn't have a chance. He he doesn't have a, a chance. He can't do anything. When you have, when you're founded on this rock, praise God. Well, glory to God. I believe that represents the authority of Christ because he's the one that gave it, praise God. Go with me and we'll close with this passage. We'll just read it because it's getting late. Go with me to the 28th chapter of Matthew and we'll pick up here next time. Matthew 28. This was after Jesus was raised from the dead. He had been with the disciples then for 40 days after his resurrection. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now notice Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus acquired this by his conquest. By his conquest, he defeated the enemy for mankind. All of the authority that the devil tried to show him, that he would give him the authority of the kingdoms of this world, Jesus took all of that. I said, Jesus took all of that. The authorities, the the, uh, powers of darkness that operate in the nations today and the authority of those kingdoms, they're counterfeit. Jesus now, he said, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But right after this, he ascended into heaven. He's not on the earth anymore, physically. 
And so he said, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore you go. What was he doing? He, he delegated his authority to the church. I said he delegated his authority on the earth to the church. A lot of people have this idea that Jesus is seated in heaven and he's exercising authority in the earth. No, he has authority, but he's delegated his authority on the earth to those of us who are still on the earth. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, but you're still here. You therefore go. And then look at the bottom of this. And lo, I am with you always. Even to 2015. Even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. The authority that was delegated to Christ I mean, from Christ to the church is still the possession of the church right down to the very last day of this church age. The idea that things have passed away and the power of God's not available, he's not doing signs and wonders and miracles and and all of that, that's not true. He said, my authority will go with you to the very end of the age. Glory to God. Woo! Ha ha, glory to God. That tells me that the authority of Christ is for the church today, that we can rise up with the same authority that we saw him demonstrate when he was here. He stood fearlessly in the face of death and said, come out of that tomb. He stood fearlessly uh, uh, before all manner of sickness and disease and said, be made whole, and they were healed and made whole. He stood fearlessly before every attempt of the evil one, over, uh, against every attempt of the sons of darkness to come against. He stood fearlessly, took his place, praise God. That same authority belongs to the church and I'm telling you, it is the, the understanding of that, the revelation of that is being restored in these last days. God never took it away, but the church backslid. But praise God, we're in revival. Hallelujah. hallelujah. We're in revival. I said we're in revival. We're in a time of restoration, glory to God. Hallelujah. More and more, more understanding will come in these last days concerning the things of the Spirit and concerning the things of God's glory and of his grace. And as we learn to take our place in these last days, fully yielded to the Spirit, giving no thought to what the world would say we cannot do, but rising up and saying what we can do in Jesus' name, we'll see the full restoration come about and we'll see the acclamation, we'll see the glory belong that belongs to the Lord Jesus be finally given unto him and the world will see and know that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus and he's still alive. Praise God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.